Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly. Everyone say momentum. And that the word would be honored, just as it was with you. Some people just know how to receive the word of God, right? They know how to receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you. And he will protect you from the evil one. Can I pray for you just before we begin our dialogue today? Father, I pray for every single person in this building. That perhaps I may say something today just under the anointing and auspices of the Holy Spirit. That would not just alter their life, but literally change their life. You always challenge us. You always charge us. But today, I'm asking for change. That we all leave this building knowing who we are in you. Would you lift your hands? The Bible says lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Lord, I pray right now for people that are going through a perilous time in life. People that are suffering from pain they do not understand going through a season of confusion. They are disoriented in their destiny. Would you touch those people right now? Would you heal the sick right now among us? Lord, I pray for marriages right now. Would you just do something in our marriages in this church? Seal every covenant. Let them walk in confidence together as partners in purpose. I pray for people that are away from you today that they would come home even as the prodigal came to the father's house. Would you bring them home today? Would you put a robe on their back and sandals on their feet, a ring on their hand? Can we celebrate the restoration of those that would come back to the father today? Would you do that among us, Lord? Would you renew us and refresh all of us today? Everyone say it with me. Have your way, Lord. Keep those hands raised. Lord, we break every generational curse. We bind any generational spirit. Anything that is not of God is bound. Have your way in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and give him praise one more time. High five somebody and tell them it's on in the building. Then you may be seated. I was thinking about all the joy we were just experiencing. And I used to love this song so much and I was just reminded of it right there. Everyone say it with me. Jesus, you are the center of my joy. 
Hallelujah. Just a little bit of this song. And all that's good and perfect come from you. You're the heart. Jamie's going to sing it one more time. Let's lift our hands and tell Jesus today. And Jesus, you're the center of my time y'all you may be seated the spirit of protection last week we talked about the promise of protection and the place of protection pastor Josh came in here and taught on it Wednesday night how many of you appreciate pastor Josh the purpose of protection is safety I think many times we overprotect things, specifically our children. We protect them from things that they need to learn to handle. I brought this little video. River and I were fishing in the pond the other day. And some of y'all said I saw it. I was so concerned with him picking up that bass. <laughs> because I know if he grabs him the wrong way, the fins on that fish are going to stick him and it's going to burn him for a while. And I almost stopped him. And I almost said, River, let daddy get it. Can y'all show them this video? Watch this <laughs> Come on. You're a country boy. You're a country boy. Come on, River. You're a country boy. That's country for you. But he never forgot it. 
And all day the next day, all he talked about was, Daddy, let's go fishing. He had confidence now that he could handle it. And sometimes you need to allow your children to go through things that have the potential to harm them momentarily. Do not rescue them from the consequences of risk. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Because when you do, you'll teach them a pattern of trepidation. And many times children need to experience consequences if they're going to risk making a mistake. Are y'all with me right now? And now River, I could take him fishing anytime. He's not afraid. Now I just got to get him used to the worm. Where people feel safe, they feel secure. Security provides atmospheres of peace, joy, proper development, and growth. Remember we talked about that last week. The key to inhabiting these kind of environments is to have protection. Protection comes from two phrases, to cover in front. Many times we're late on our protection. If you're protecting your child right, he won't make the mistake and have to pay the consequences. Protection is something that is taught, and it is also something that is caught. And that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 16, above all, take the shield of faith. When you know you are protected, you never feel helpless and you never feel hopeless. Protection is sheltering and defending someone or something. By the way, this is all review. The purpose, if the purpose of protection is safety, the goal of protection is security. Some of you need to protect your child from that smart device he carries around. I'll leave that there. So we talked about the promise of protection. We talked about the place of protection. Today, I want to introduce to you the subject of the position of protection. I was thinking about football. Don't know why. But football season is about to start. And there's a couple of great football players, former great football players in our church. I won't point them out. They played for the Sooners. Wait a minute now. Hold on. Are we in Norman? Go Tigers. Okay, let's go right here. We're talking about this. And I was thinking, the only offensive players that are playing defense are linemen. The only offensive players that play defense are linemen. And someone once said, whoever controls the line of scrimmage wins the game. The offensive line is primarily responsible for blocking. 
for protecting. Am I right? Hmm. Five guys, not the burger joint. There's a center, two guards, two tackles. The offensive line is there to protect the one with the ball. They're there to push or press. They're there to create openings. They are there to build a pocket for the quarterback. And they are also there to guard the blind side of the quarterback, the offensive line. They are the only offensive players that play defense. My question to you is, who is blocking for you? My prayer is, you feel like you're in a community of believers and that you feel like you're in a church that knows how to block for you. That you're among brothers and sisters that protects your blind side. You're among brothers and sisters that will create an opening for you. That will guard you and protect you. Isn't that what family is all about? Yes, it is. As I was praying this morning, I thought about this. There's a difference in driving the enemy out of your possession and defending your possession against the enemy. Let me say it again. There's a difference in driving the enemy away from your family and defending the family that you enjoy. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the position of defense. And when you leave here today, you're going to be asking yourself questions like this. Who have I defended lately? Hmm. Defending has always been a part of spiritual warfare. That's why it's called the shield of faith. Come on in this building. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I was going to read it for the sake of time. I want verses 1 through 6, talks about, to the church at Corinth, defending the message against what he called super apostles. And basically he says, there are these super false apostles that have infiltrated the people of God, and I am here to defend you against them. To the church at Philippi, he says in chapter 1, verse 15, some preach Christ out of envy and strife. Some preach him out of goodwill. The one preached Christ out of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other preaches out of love. Listen, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. You know, I'm looking for preachers today that just defend the gospel. Now, you may say, does the gospel need defense? The gospel needs a voice. Talk back to me. The gospel needs a voice. He said, I am set for the defense. Look at it in the Greek. The word defense is the apologetics of the gospel. 
And it literally means a systematic discourse that forms a defense against what you are preaching. Man, the gospel has been attacked in this generation. How? By many preachers preaching perspectives and opinions and not sticking with the pure, unadulterated, unpolluted, undefiled Word of God. Preacher, open the Bible and tell us what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17, defend the oppressed. If you're going to defend someone, defend people who are going through not just depression, but oppression. I got to hurry. I was reminded of the people of God being oppressed by the Philistines and one giant came out named Goliath to oppress the people of God further. And he said, send me out a man. And he didn't know he was going to get a boy. But he got a boy that knew how he was built. And he came out and he said, who is this that is defying the armies of God? And the brother said, this is Goliath. And you know Eliab told him, he said, go home, I know you. But David said, what will happen to the man? Goliath called him a boy. He called himself a man. He said, that takes this giant out. In other words, who's going to stand up among the Israelites and tell this giant, you are not just going to defy the armies of the living God. Somebody's got to defend what we stand for. And he tells him, today, I'm going to take off your head and I'm going to feed your body to the fowls of the air. What if a youth, a generation of young people stood up among all the peer pressure in the public schools and all the temptations they face and they say, today, I was born for such a time as this. I'm going to defend my destiny. I'm going to defend my Someone once said, if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. One of the most interesting stories in all of Scripture concerning defense, I find it to be somewhat humorous. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 11. Can I read it to you? This is about David's mighty men, and, and the Bible is listing all of them, and it says, there was one named Shammah. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, full of butter beans. And the people fled from the Philistines. But Shammah stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord brought a great victory. Here's what's funny to me. Why would you stand and fight a whole host of Philistines over a field of beans? I don't know about y'all, but if I'm fighting a whole army and they come to get my beans, <laughs> I'm going to probably ask them, you want bacon with that? But not Shammah. Shammah stood 
and he fought off an entire host of Philistines for a field of beans. Why? Because they were his beans. Y'all not hearing that. They were his. And it's time for us to stand up and start defending what is ours. Are you hearing me? Stand up and defend what belongs to you. And then I was brought to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11. The adversaries fighting Nehemiah when he's rebuilding the wall said this. They won't even know when we come up among them, we're going to slay them and, they, and the work is going to stop. That's what the enemy said. But when you get to verse 14, Nehemiah said, I looked and I rose up and I said to the people, don't be afraid of your enemy. Remember the Lord, which is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your houses. Are y'all hearing me? It's time for the church to stand up and tell the enemy, you're not going to have my brother, you're not going to have my sister, you're not going to have my son, you're not going to have my daughter, you're not going to have my wife, you're not going to have my husband, you're not going to have my children, and you're not going to have my house. When I got through studying, I'm just giving you an introduction here. When I got through studying that, I thought about defending brothers. And I had to ask this question. When is the last time that you defended a brother instead of joining the assault against his character? When is the last time you were among people talking bad about someone and you had enough courage and fortitude to stop them and say, guys, I wasn't there I don't know. Here's what I do know. He's a good guy. I mean, he's been very kind to me. You know, I'll just say it like a TIE is. Somebody need to be embarrassed. Somebody need to be embarrassed. They don't mind slandering. They don't mind scrutinizing. What if you just stood up and embarrassed them and said, were you there? How much time do you spend with this individual? See, it's getting quiet because ain't nobody got no backbone no more. My daddy used to tell me, boy, you better grow you a backbone like a saw log. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born in adversity. One version says at all times a friend loves, but in adversity he becomes a brother. Adversity declares to you who your brothers are. And when you look at the word adversity in the Hebrew, it literally means your adversaries. A brother is born for adversaries. A friend loves you at all times, but you don't know who your brothers are until you have adversaries. I was reminded of the time of Samuel where the Bible says when Samuel reigned, the Philistines no longer came upon the land of Israel because he defended it. What are you defending? Who are you defending? Or do you defend at all? Hmm. I prayed today. I said, Lord, would you come up in?
I don't know how you come up in. But Lord, would you come up in Quest Church and show us your presence and allow us, listen to me carefully, to experience your glory. Presence is one thing. Glory is another thing. Glory means weight, not just splendor. Glory is the result. Presence is the visitation. When Jesus said, this happened to this man, that the father must be glorified, the man that was born blind. They wanted to know who sinned, that this guy was blind. And he said, this happened that the father would be glorified. In other words, God knew what he went through. And God trusted him with that trouble. Because he knew the end result would be God would get the glory. God is trusting you with some of the adversity you're facing. God is trusting you with the trouble that you're going through because he knows in the end you're going to turn around and say, I did not bring myself through this. I did not analytically process myself through this term or duration of trouble. No, God brought me through and I'm going to give him Isaiah 4 says the Lord will create on every dwelling place of Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all of them the glory, listen to it, shall be the defense. When you allow the glory of God to dwell in your home, when you allow the glory of God to take over church services, you don't even have to speak for yourself. Y'all need to give God some praise right there. When the glory of God is setting up in your family, when the glory of God is sitting up in a church, you don't even have to defend yourself. The glory speaks for you. And I asked God today, I said, God, would you be the glory and the lifter up of our head? Would you be the glory in church today? Would you be the one glorified today and fill this sanctuary with your glory so that when the enemy shows up on the parking lot, he says we cannot visit that congregation because they have the glory of God among them. The glory is the next step. Tell your neighbor it's the next step. It's the next step when glory visits churches. The weight of God sits among us. Well, that was all introduction. Sincerely, it was. That was a long introduction. Well, it was daggum good. The position of protection is defense. Hmm. If you're going to protect someone or something, you will ultimately at some point have to defend them. Huh. I wrote this down this morning. If you're going to stand for something, you will have to defend it by standing against something. Now, when I get through with this little portion of this message, do you promise to still be my friend? Yeah. 
Don't lie now. You don't know what I'm about to say. I noticed some of y'all didn't say anything. Y'all just looked at me like this. That's all right, though. That's how you've been looking all day. So I'm just going to allow you that. All right. Let me say it like this. If you stand for life, then you have to defend against abortion. You have to defend against genocide. You have to defend against ethnic cleansing. You have to defend against murder. If you stand for love, then you have to defend against hate. You have to defend against prejudice. You have to defend against racism. I said the other day on a post, racism is of the devil. I didn't get a lot of likes. <laughs> but they got a whole lot of I don't care. I'm not asking for likes. I just want to be in the Bible. Keep on preaching, Pastor Rick. If you're going to stand for truth, you have to defend against lies. The church has been great at preaching what we are for. But we have not defended what we are for. work on one for you. If you tell me you do not believe in integration, I tell you, you are immature. I'm going to defend it. The root word of the word integration is the word integer, which means to be completely mature, which tells me if you do not celebrate integration, then you are immature. And immature, okay, that's fine. You just don't know. I'm not going to tell you you're a hater. I'm just going to tell you you're immature. You just don't understand. Integration is integer, which means to be completely, entirely mature. It also means to be whole, which means if you're a person that believes in segregation, then your whole life is fragmented. If everyone was just like you, then where is the diversity of the kingdom of God? Diversity embraced is unity achieved. Unity achieved is power released. Power released is people changed. And people changed is a world saved. But you have to embrace diversity if you want to change the world. I wish I had a church. So you have to be willing to defend it. So the question becomes, not what are you for, what are you against? 
and look at everything Jesus challenged in his life. And more than anything, he challenged religious people. And he called them Pharisees, whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. I don't know about you, but I don't find that very nice, a nice way to tell people that you're off. What if preachers got up in church today and said, if you're not religious and you're racist, you, we'd have empty churches, wouldn't we? Because everyone wants to tell you what you should be for and what we are for, but nobody says what we are against. And if you're going to stand for something, you have to be against other things. Every position has opposition. Amen. Five of us are with that. Appreciate all five hand claps for that statement. Now, as, what, as much as we can defend people, as much as we can defend our stance and doctrine and Bible and godly stuff, there is no one that is a greater defender than God himself. The devil is the prosecuting attorney. He's going to accuse you. But you have a mediator. You have a lawyer. What's his name? And every time the enemy comes to accuse you, your lawyer stands up and says, but father... I shed my blood for that mistake. I shed my blood for that failure. He has asked for forgiveness. And then the father dismisses the prosecuting attorney, dismisses the accusations. What just happened? God himself defended you. And when you read, can I preach the rest of this? I haven't really started preaching yet, but I... I think I might start preaching in a minute. But 2 Samuel 22, David speaks to the Lord the words of a song he wrote. After, listen, he was delivered out of the hand of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. He did not just deliver David from his enemies, he delivered him from his leader. Jealousy will always try to take out your anointing. If you do not sit under leadership that celebrates your growth instead of stunning your growth, then you need to find new leadership. Leadership is all about nurturing and maturing the gifts of God that he put under you. Talk back to me. And here is the Bible saying, David saying about being delivered, not just from the enemy, but from his leader. Some of y'all need to be delivered from leaders in your past that manipulated you, that controlled you, that played psychological games with you, that mentally and spiritually abused you. You need to be delivered from those voices, from that spirit of control, from that influence that was not of God. 
And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock, and him I will trust. He is my shield, and God is the horn of my salvation. He's my high tower, my refuge, my savior. He saves me from violence. I will call on the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. He will save me from my enemies. The waves of death tried to get me. The floods of the ungodly tried to make me afraid. The sorrows of hell tried to get me. The of death stopped me but in my distress I called on the Lord I cried out to God and he heard my voice out of the temple out of where the temple prayer is different in here I'll just leave it there David sang the song of deliverance and defense God delivered him out of the hand of not just his enemies he delivered him out of the hand of Saul We've all heard messages on God is my rock. Haven't we? God is my fortress. God is my deliverer. God is my shield. God is my high tower. God is my refuge. God is my savior. But what is this? He's the horn of my salvation. Not many messages on that. What is that? So I studied it. Many theologians believe he's talking about the sable antelope. Everyone say this with me. God is the best defender. God is the great defender. Now he says he's the horn of my salvation. A sable antelope. So I studied these animals. They're known for their durability. They can go a long time without food or water. They're known for their ability to defend themselves even against lions. They have a system of respect in every herd. The seniors are always the leaders. Sable antelope. Their sense of hearing is better than any deer-like animal in the world. Their sense of what? Hearing. hearing. They're known to have incredible vision. They're known to be cool, calm, and collected at all times. They are most active in the morning. I'm going to keep going. When they are attacked, they will run. But they will run just far enough to calculate their defense. And it's usually about 20 to 30 yards. And when they're running, they're always looking behind, sizing up who's chasing them, why they're chasing them, how big they are, that's kind of like me when I woke up this morning. I said, all right, what kind of devil is after me today? Watch this. Their horns are pointed backward. There he is right there. Their horn is, horns are pointed backward to fight predators that attack from behind. 
Bible talks about the Amalekites. And the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that God would always be against the Amalekites. And the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus the reason why God would perpetually be against the Amalekites is because they always attacked from the hindmost. They always came out of your past. You know what I'm praying for you today? A sable antelope anointing. So that when things come out of your past to attack you from behind, you can take them out just by lifting your head. Tell your neighbor, don't make me lift my head. Because if I lift my head, my horns are going to kill anything that's trying to get me out of my past. And many of you are not dealing with stuff going on in your present. You're still fighting with an experience that happened to you in your past. You had something happen in your marriage years ago, and you're still not over it today. I came by to tell you, lift up your... Just tell somebody anything that's trying to get you from your past is defeated today. All right. Now I'm studying these animals. He's the horn of my salvation. The best part of anything I learned was this. You'll never see a sable antelope fighting, standing up on his feet. A sable antelope fights from his knees. A sable antelope will get down on his knees in order to fight what is coming against him. Can I tell you, you have never stood taller than when you are on your knees. You have never fought harder than when you are on your knees. Your victory comes when you are on your knees. When you get out of that bed in the morning, drop down to your knees, the enemy begins to back up. And he begins to say, he's praying now. You might as well leave him alone. He's praying now. Don't even visit the family. Tell your neighbor, get on your knees before God. <laughs> I was in... Um, I was outside of, um, I was outside of um, Waco, Texas, at a ranch there. It was about 15,000 acres, and we were working cattle with this rancher. I won't say who it is. And um, he had a wildlife reserve there. And he had zebras. He had everything you can imagine. We're riding those horses out through there looking for cattle. And all of a sudden from the woods steps this animal that I had never seen before. And I stopped him and I said, now, JT, what is that? And he said, Pastor Rick, that is a sable antelope. I said, I've only heard about them. That sable antelope was not afraid of us. We rode up from here to those back doors, 
and he stood right there and just looked at us. Like, are you a threat? JT got off that horse and he said, let me show you something, Pastor Rick. I said, all right. He reached down and got him a rock about the size of a baseball. He said, watch this animal. And he threw that rock. When he did, that old sable antelope just said, pap. And just looked at him. I said, what in the world? He said, that ain't nothing. I'm going to throw it harder. He reached out and got about a rock the same as the last one. This time, he let it go. And he was an athlete. He zinged this thing at that antelope. That old antelope just stood there and went, pap. Now, you're saying, what that pap mean, Pastor Rick? He's deflecting those rocks with that horn. Wherever that horn, wherever that rock came, that horn just, boop, like a good baseball player. Everybody say, knock it out of the park. And when he would hit it with that horn, it would go back toward us. He wasn't just knocking it down. It would whack. And I thought to myself, this is unbelievable. He said, just watch. He just started picking up, wham, wham. And that old antelope just standing, whack, 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 whack. He did not miss one rock. You know what the Holy Ghost spoke to me? Let them throw rocks at you. Let the enemy try to hit you and see if God will not tell your neighbor you got an antelope anointing this morning. God, pow, God is pow. The enemy's trying to hit you, pow. God's saying, no, you the antelope, I'm the horn. I will guard you from everything that tries to hit you. I'm going to deflect it and I'm going to protect you. I'm deflecting the rock and I am protecting you. I am deflecting the artillery and I am protecting you. I am deflecting everything the enemy is throwing at you and I'm protecting you. He is the great defender. And that's why David said he's the horn of my salvation. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says the Lord is your mighty defender. Psalm 62, verse 5 says I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. Would you please stand? God alone protects me. And God alone saves me. God alone protects me. God alone saves me. He is my defender, and I shall not be defeated. Say it with me. He is my defender, and I shall not be defeated. God your greatest defense. I hear this right now. I hear the Lord saying, be still and be quiet. Let me defend you. Let me be your defense. Don't defend yourself. I've got your back. Would you lift your hands, please?
would you minister?